Good morning, everybody. This is your friend Dave Weiner coming to you from the deep south of the United States of America. Here we are in the great state of Florida. And yeah, it is. This is, you know, sometimes people think Florida ain't the, you know, isn't a red state. Well, it's a red state. <laughs> it's a red state, and it's good for me. I haven't lived in a red state since before there were red states. Uh, Last time I lived in the Deep South was New Orleans, Louisiana. That was in the mid, early to mid-70s, actually. So you have to go back quite a ways to get there. But there you have it. And right now I'm in northeast Florida. And goddamn, if I didn't go swimming in the Atlantic Ocean today, I sure did. It was cold. <laughs> But it was hot outside. It was one of those, oh, what unbelievably beautiful, beautiful, beautiful weather it was today. And it wasn't supposed to be either. It was supposed to be cloudy and we were supposed to get some big storms. And, you know, the surfers have been out for the last, uh, I don't know, for the last week, basically. The surf's been very good. But today, today by the end of the day, it got, it got weird. I mean, there was this big old sandbar out, like, oh, I don't know, I can't measure it, maybe like the equivalent of a half a block out into the water. And you could wade out into that, you know, you could wade out to the sandbar. Um, I had to take my cell phone out of my pocket of my shorts, and I had to, I had my iPod with me, and I was listening to um, the Beatles' White Album on today's walk. And... uh so I took all that out of my pocket so that it wouldn't get wet. And then I was out walking. I walked for like a mile on the sandbar. Um, and it was funny. The waves were breaking on the bar. And then when a wave would break on it, it would sort of come over the bar and then over the other side. And then the water would just wash into the, this tidal pool that was like half a block or whatever. It was just big. It was huge. And um, it just kept going. And then every once in a while, there'd be like a mini inlet where um, it would be like, I don't know if you, if you ever looked at a map of the intercoastal of the eastern seaboard of the United States, it's all a big, you know, there's a, an island or a series of islands that run up the coast. And that's where the beaches are, is on the islands. And the other side of the island is what they call the intercoastal waterway. And um, the intercoastal waterway, like if you were going to, um, if you had like a pleasure boat or something, and you wanted to uh, sort of go up and down the coast, uh, you'd ride on the intercoastal unless you wanted to, if the waves on the sea, you know, if the sea was particularly nasty, I guess, if the ocean were particularly nasty, you'd ride on the intercoastal. And it's kind of like this big wide river and it's got bridges over it. And, and every, you know, so often there'll be an inlet that separates two islands. And in that inlet, the, the tide flows in and fly, flows out. The intercoastal is tidal. I mean, it's got these inlets. And so, you know, at low tide, actually, it, it's, it's probably not very deep and it doesn't look like it'd be very hospitable, you know, for, for boat travel. And all these things are things that I've learned. I mean, I used to come here. I've been coming to this area for 30 years, and um, but I'll tell you, there are just until I mean, I'd never spent this much time in my life at the beach, um, 
And there are things you learn about the ocean that um, I think that I still haven't yet quite like verbalized all the things yet. Uh, I've got a lot of new data. And, you know, the sense that the ocean sort of has a, a consistent personality is that it's doing the same thing uh, all the time. You know, the waves on the east coast of Florida are always good. Well, no, they're not actually. Sometimes the ocean is like the Long Island Sound. It's it's like like a lake. It's glassy. It's, you know, the smallest of ripples and absolutely no surf. And other days like today, there's a teeny little bit of waves, wave action, and then the sandbar thing going on. And... Um, and then the sandbar has, like I started to say before, has these little inlets that act like the inlets on the, um, on the larger scale. And so you've got this water that's, um, like I said, the half block size sort of tidal pool. Guess what? That's the intercoastal and, um, but the equivalent of the intercoastal and those inlets where the water is roiling and boiling and just moving around it feels so good when I mean, you just stand in this water and it's hot outside the sun is beating down on you and you're you know you're you feel good i mean it's not like hot like it's uncomfortable hot it's hot and um and i kind of wished i didn't have my phone and my ipod with me and at that point i would have loved to have just like okay fine let's just go in over my head and start swimming around but of course i had all the electronics with me so i couldn't and uh, so I finished that walk and then came back and um, and uh, and then did a little bit of work. It's kind of nice, you know. Um, I have a hose out back so I can sort of like rinse myself off and get the salt off. And then I went to my um, ophthalmologist, which is the eye doctor, and got my new glasses. So I've got new glasses now that work a lot better. Um, this is all part of the... Um, you know, I have to get eye surgery. I don't know if you read about that on Scripting News, but I have a, a detachment in my retina, a place where the eyeball is disconnected from the retina on the left eye. And right in the middle of my goddamn eye, there's this spot where I just can't see. I mean, it's just, you know, all around it, yeah, I can see, but it's it's big enough so that it basically, that vision, the vision in that eye is pretty much not there. I mean, um, you know, I can do a, um, if I were to do a vision test, um, well, you know, cover up the right eye and read off the chart. I can't read even the top line. The most amazing thing. I mean, I've never had really good vision. And um, I remember when I was like, I guess it was like fifth grade or fourth grade or something like that. When I got my first pair of glasses, and what what a revelation it was to to all of a sudden to be able to see. I mean, it was like things got sharp, and it was really something. So, um, but you know, I'm getting, I'm getting close to fifty. This is going to be we're in the final home stretch now for fifty for the big five zero, um, and uh, that that will be on May second. And today is what? Today is the twenty first. Is it the twenty first? It's already the 21st of March. It surely is the 21st of March. So um, there you have it. Um, so, yeah, i got to get eye surgery. 
And uh, what else have I been doing? Well, one of the reasons why I haven't been doing, I'm going to take a couple of notes here. Um, let's see, I want to talk a bit about my project, my software project. Let me just write this down. And I want to talk a little bit about podcasting. Yep. Because, you know, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm doing a podcasting. And uh, and I want to talk about podcasting as an art. And uh, there's been so much talk about it as a business. And so you know it's only going to get worse. And um, then when the reporters have sort of stepped in and they have something to say. CBS, this guy Frank, uh, I think his name is Frank uh, Barnaco or something like that at CBS. And he's sort of like, like it's like schoolyard crap. I mean, you know, he doesn't have any facts, but he throws out. I mean, he has very limited facts, and so he and he doesn't, of course, draw the conclusions. But he suggests perhaps that you could draw conclusion conclusions. One of many conclusions one could draw, but of course, it's the most negative and the one most likely to inspire anger and uh, um, whatever. Frustration, I guess. Yeah, but um, take a deep breath, like like this. This is how you do it. And it's amazing. And then you go for a swim in the ocean. Okay, so let's talk about that ocean swimming. Putting that down, ocean swimming. I think I would talk about that right now. Okay, so I haven't been able to do any ocean swimming until today. And today, I said after I got my new glasses, I had it all worked out. Like basically, thing about going to swim in the ocean. Is like, well, where do you put your wallet? Where do you put your keys? And where do you put your glasses? And, you know, sort of like while you're swimming, and if you can't see, like I am, like Mr. Magoo, you know, I mean, and you're constantly looking to see, is like anybody fucking with your stuff, you know? Um, and because if it's like your wallet and your glasses and your keys, well, that's like, you know, your identity, your ability to see, and your car, so your transportation, <laughs> the whole thing is like, well, I'm pretty well fucked if somebody were to just decide to, to pick up that stuff. And, you know, so it's like, what do you do? Well, anyway, so if you got the house at the beach, man, you got it licked, right? What you do is you leave the stuff in the house, right? And if you've got a second pair of glasses like I do, because now I have new glasses and I got my old glasses, which were like three, four-year prescription or whatever, um, well, then uh, problem solved, you know, Um Leave the key in sort of a place, you know, under a doormat somewhere, uh-huh. you know, quote-unquote doormat, and um, bring a towel, leave the wallet in the house, wear your second eyeglasses, wear flip-flops so that, like, you don't have to take your shoes off and put on, take off your socks and stuff like that, and, uh, and you, did I say bring a towel? You bring a towel. And you set the towel down. The problem is, of course, is like if you're going to leave all your valuables out there, the beach here is so damn wide. Is I forget it. You couldn't see what was happening and stuff. You just have to say, well, fine, you know. Well, nobody's interested in a second pair of glasses or, you know, your old flip-flops. And if they did, well, great, you know. At least I still got my old, my new glasses. You can have the old ones. Nobody wants them. So you can relax. And that's the most important part because basically, you know, never had anything stolen in that context you know you sort of leave your knapsack there and you know you figure that everybody else there is kind of in the same spot but you st still it's hard to relax so um i went into the water and uh 
And it was a different experience after having gone on the walk where it would have been so easy just to sort of plop down and get wet. It hit, it had chilled out a little bit. It was like two hours later and it wasn't quite as warm and I wasn't as warmed up and, um, the sun wasn't quite so hot and, it, and I didn't, couldn't see either. Cause like, you know, my vision really isn't very good. Right. Um, so, but I did go dive in head first, got myself completely wet, lost my breath about it. Every time I went in, never really did get fully acclimated. I got acclimated from the waist down in the water, but um, above that, not really. But, and it was like shocking. It was like, you know, you go like that. You know, it's like you can't catch your breath. It's so shocking, but it's really good for you. I mean, it feels so good when you're done. Get inside, come back, you know, rinse off with the hose. Pick up the stuff, put on the shoes, put on the glasses, pick up the towel, you know, towel off a little bit, drape it around your shoulders, go back, wash the salt off with the hose, go upstairs, take a quick shower, get dressed, sit down, and just ah, the relaxation is so unreal. It is just, it's like, like two hours of shiatsu. You're so like, ah, I feel so good you know it's just that cold ocean water you know everything all the the whole effect just is like it's just it feels so good and so um i don't know just wanted to say that feels good (laughs) you know and in the context of all of the angst that everybody has about software and this and that the other thing well you know what it's uh there's a whole nother life there that isn't so angst filled and thank God for that. So anyway, um, so that's the ocean swimming shtick. Um, the software project is going pretty well. Um, I mean, it's going really well, actually. Um, it's like, it's funny how this works. Um, heard of, you know, there's this, Oh, there's another thing. Um, what's her name? Terry Shivo. Yes, Terry Shivo is her name. Let me write that down. I want to talk about her, too. Not the obvious thing, by the way. Not everything that you've been hearing on the radio or TV. Um, I heard this... I mean, the cool thing about... I hate to say it. I'm sorry. Uh, but the interesting or cool thing about the Terry Shivo situation has been, like, today on NPR, listening to the radio, you know, while I was working... Um, there, it opens the door for all kinds of interesting discussions, and they're having them. You know, um, in our family, we went through um, something not, I mean, how to put it? It wasn't like Terry Shivo because in a case in, in our family, the, the, my relative who was sick uh, was not brain dead at all. I mean, although... Um, I mean, I never doubted for a minute. Doctors told us he wasn't. um, And, uh, but, you know, there was, there was a lot of discussion. Let's just put it that way. There was a lot of discussion about uh, the situation. And and, and in the hospital we were in, we we did see people who were brain dead. And, uh, you know, it, it becomes sort of a matter of fact thing. I mean, you're just around the hospital and and you're around these people who have like absolutely no existence. I mean, um, there was one guy in there, um, 
who had been moved into the uh, pulmonary unit at, uh, at Flushing Hospital, um, who was actually my age. He had had a really, he had had a terrible heart attack, but survived it. Um, but this is very similar to Shivo, but, uh, but it killed his brain. And, um, and, uh, but this had happened a few years before and his body was in really awful shape. Um, and he had gotten an infection in the nursing home. When you get an infection in a nursing home, they immediately move you to the hospital because the hospital is the place where you have infections and they really try to keep them out of the nursing homes. Um, and a lot of people get sick in the hospital because it's so, such an infected place. Um, but there he was, you know, my age, life over, nothing really left, but his relatives couldn't stand to say goodbye to him. And the doctors told us that, that usually what happens, the families just simply don't want to turn off the life support. It's, they don't want the finality of it. They, they, they haven't accepted that this person is gone and that they're never going to talk to them again. They're never going to, you know, it's the, the person, the body's still there, but the person's gone. And, um, and it's a very tough situation. I mean, having gone through a lot of the thought process that goes with this, having talked with lots of family members about it, having heard from two family members that under no circumstances do they want their life prolonged. And, and, uh, you know, I said, you're crazy. I would never let that happen. I would never, you know, you're not going to get your wish on that. (laughs) If you're not brain dead, you're going to be taken care of. And I'm sorry, you don't really, you know, I mean, it's tough, of course. I was going to say you don't really get a say in it, but, of course, the living will situation um, sort of says quite the opposite, that you do have a say. Well, of course, she doesn't have a living will, and uh, and so it becomes a very complicated situation. And the parents and her blood relatives want her kept alive, and her husband says he knows that she didn't want to be kept alive. But it, there's two sides to it, for sure. And I sympathize with him more than I do with the uh, with the others. And and, and the the thing is has nothing to do with whether I'm a pro life or pro choice person. As the Republicans seem to be making it a political issue, um, it had nothing to do with that. It has to do with is there a person there? And the doctors say basically that her brain, her cerebral cortex, the conscious part of of the brain, which is you know, what makes us different from, you know, chickens, you know, you can cut a chicken's head off and the chicken will run around, <laughs> you know, we have a chicken type brain, you know, at the back of our, the top of our spine, there's a lot of function that is automatic, that is not conscious, that's not intellectual at all, and not emotional, it's just basic, well, maybe some of it is actually emotional, it is, um, but, um, is there a person there? Is there a consciousness there? Well, there's not even a brain there. Her brain has completely broken down. And uh, the heart keeps beating and the lungs keep breathing. And it's a tough, tough, tough situation. But the the cool thing about it has been the discussion that has come from it, which is very unusual. People talking about um, the tough decisions that they've had to make vis-a-vis relatives and their own lives and uh um and I'm I'm trying to be 
delicate because I don't want to talk about our own family situation here um, because, uh, you know, because the family member that was in trouble survived and, and you know, so it's not, it's not something I want to talk about publicly. But there was a story, somebody said, you know, life is like this, that it's not, and this is a very long-winded way to get to the story about my software project, but um, that life is is that life's not our senses aren't enough. We don't our senses don't experience everything that there is to life. Um, although it's always a good idea to believe your senses and to to take a really close look. You know, when you think you're seeing something, why don't you just like Let's check it out and see if it's really what's going on. Because a lot of times you respond in an automatic way to events. And, and if you use your your conscious, uh, your senses and the, your consciousness combined with the senses, you can clear things up very quickly and see that you're, you're in a pattern or what we call a movie. You know, you're, you're in your movie and... You know, if you stay in the movie, basically you'll just keep doing the same thing over and over again because the movie's very, very simple. And so while I'm one of those people that places a huge amount of um, stock in in the senses and in consciousness, okay, um, I'm also a scientist, and um, and I think I think about things and. I don't reject things just because I don't understand them. Um, like an example, uh, um, you spend a whole day, you know, looking, trying to find somebody you went to to grad school with uh, 25, 30 years ago, and uh, and you're looking in the alumni association, you're looking in the yellow pages, you're going back through your notes, your your appointment calendars, and you just can't find this person anywhere. And then the knock comes at the door, and that's who it is, you know. Or a twin feels this really awful feeling, dread feeling, and it's a, exactly the moment that the twin feels this that the the other twin is having a fatal heart attack. Um, you know, uh, are there things that that we experience that we can't explain? Sure, and happens all the time by extrapolation, you know. Imagine I had another another example. This was many years ago. I was sitting in a outdoor um, jazz club in Austin, Texas, and uh, the stage was built around this tree, and it was very loud music being played around this tree. Basically, it was a living being right in the middle of the stage, and I thought to myself, well, you know, an interesting thing. So I wonder if that tree has any sense of what is happening around it. Does it have any ability to understand? I mean, maybe it experiences this as some sort of very strange vibration, you know. But does it know? Does it even understand what people are? Or and me, and if it understands people in some sense, does it understand music? Does it understand the social aspects? I mean, trees don't move. Do trees have a social life? It's hard to know. It seems more likely that trees would have a social life with birds and squirrels than they would with. Uh, with other trees. Um, so, you know, my guess was that if the tree had any way to experience what was going on, it, it bore absolutely no resemblance to the human experience of what was going on. And, 
And uh, so if a tree, and so a tree clearly has a higher life form, or a, maybe higher is arrogant, but certainly a different kind of life form, life form in its presence. I mean, there's no arguing that we were in its presence. A different life form, but that it can't experience that life form in any sort of uh, sensible way. Yet we can impact its environment. We can change it. We can do all kinds of things to help or hurt the tree, and mostly probably to hurt the tree would be more likely. Um, so with that preamble, that's what seems to be happening with my software project right now. We don't have a code name for it, but we will need to have one. And uh, what's been happening is, is that all the people I need to work on this thing are showing up. And, you know, that, that includes user interface designers, C coders, uh, financial people, um, users, uh, content developers, the whole nine yards, everything. It's just coming together. It's like one morning I wake up and say, well, really got to have blah, 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 blah. And I just don't know where to turn. And then there's an email with a guy who's saying, you know, I'm, I'm working on blah, 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 blah. And I was wondering if that somehow, would you like to take a look at this? And there's the URL and I go look at it and I said, well, if you just change this and this and this, then we'll have your blah, blah, blah. We'll work with my DDDD and we'll have blah, 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 DDD, blah, 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 DDD, blah, 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 DDD. And it'll be, you know, DDD, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, Sorry. But it's been like that. It's something else. It's like there are uh, Dave Jacobs, who, by the way, is doing great, which is like, and I know it. You know, how do I know? I say, Dave, how are you doing? And Dave's the guy who had the new kidney. got the kidney transplant on December 8th. And so anyway, how do I know he's doing great? Well, I say, Dave, how are you doing? He says, I'm doing great. <laughs> and uh, let me tell you something. I've known Dave for, whatever, 15 years or so. My age really isn't all that long, but it's long enough. Um, and all the time I've known him, he's never, ever said he feels great. This is a guy who's always got, well, you know, blah, 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 and blah, 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 you know, and then it got really, really bad. It got so bad that, I mean, if you were looking at him, you'd say, well, you know, this guy ain't long for the world. And he's fought, he fought so fucking hard. And it worked so far, knock wood, you know, I mean, because one of those things where, you know, Murphy's Law, you don't want to tempt fate, you don't want to, like, you don't want to say everything's great and then have God sort of screw, you know, goof on you over that. But so far, so good. One day at a time, things are going pretty good for Dave. Um, why, why did I mention it? Oh, yeah, because he likes to talk about this. He used to talk about this thing called Power Spots. And Power Spot is a physical place where you go and, like, it's, there's power there, you know, it, you, you sort of like today walking on that sandbar for me, there was a lot of power there. I mean, it was like, it just was one of those lovely moments in life where, you know, just everything felt good. Like can't even explain why or how, but just, you know, felt good. There's no like sort of reason why it did. It just did. And, uh, that's power spot. So what I said to him today when we were talking was, is that, you know, there's power spots in um, what I call, you, you know, what I don't know, in Euclidean space. Here I am using a, you know, whatever, $20 million word. Euclidean space just means the world, you know. 
uh, you know, Euclid, the, was he Greek? I think he was Greek. Um, you know, came up with this, you know, the x-axis, y-axis, z-axis. There's the three dimensions of our physical world and all the laws and theorems and postulates and, and uh, you know, Euclid sort of, Euclid is what you study in, uh, in I guess, like junior high school, maybe even elementary school. Um, well, if there are power spots in Euclidean space, there's also power spots in time. And there are just times when sort of things are happening, and um, and uh, and then times, long periods of time when things just don't happen. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, so podcasting. Now I made a note here: podcasting is an art. Um, yeah, I don't have any ads on my podcast, and you know what? Frankly, I don't want ads on my podcast, and. I know why I don't want ads on my podcast, um, and it's the same reason why I don't have ads on scripting news, because to put an ad on scripting news would be like real small picture stuff, because scripting news is like where I wield my power. It's where I change the world, where I you know, just simply the power of ideas. You know, I used to call them, and this was back before got all, like, roiled in all the angst over um, the syndication and wars. So people called them wars, but you know what? They were just a bunch of people mouthing off in blog posts and email messages, and it was pretty one-sided. I mean, it was mostly sort of like, a, you know, uh, no, they weren't wars. <laughs> War is where you take a gun and you start shooting people and you threaten to press the button and then maybe you do press the button. And so, you know, maybe, uh, you know, those weren't wars. But it, the, the energy just got so damn negative. And, um, and I forgot why I was doing this stuff. And then it came really clear when all of a sudden all the hype balloons start going up about podcasting. And I watched this thing which, you know... I mean, I hung out with Curry for a long, long time, okay? And he and I, like, tried a lot of things out. And, um, you know, they're even reinventing some of his ideas now, too. Let's get this. I mean, I don't know if they actually were his, because basically, I don't know if he actually comes up with them or if he just, like, uses other people out. People, you know, whatever. <laughs> but as far as I know, he was the first to come up with the idea of uh, an RSS calendar, which was actually a pretty good idea. Now other people are claiming to, you know, our, you know, RSS, like, filling in every crevice, but there's a lot of people claiming to have invented things. I don't know if they've invented them or not. I'd like to know, though. Um, I do care. I know some people make fun of that, but you know what? In other areas, if you were the guy that wrote the story and somebody else says they wrote the story, that's called plagiarism, and that is not cool. In academia, you can lose your total position. You can, I think you can lose tenure over plagiarism. I mean, it's one of, it's that goddamn serious, you know? Uh, in reporting and in politics, they have plagiarism too. If I give a speech and I say, this is my speech, but the words actually were your words, that's unethical and you can like lose it all for doing that. And the same is true in technology. And we're, I'm going to make sure that, and then see, this is why it's important for me to have a blog, okay? Because in in the eighties, when I had absolutely no voice, okay, it's, 
there was nothing I could do. People would roll over you, and what would what could you say about it? You know, um, in the '90s when the reporters were saying that there was no Macintosh software, yet there was all this Macintosh software. I, it's so funny to watch everybody sort of flip on Apple right now. You know, it's like, oh, all of a sudden Apple's a bad guy because, you know, they're going after some bloggers. And it's so funny to see the, the, the professional journalists all of a sudden we're their brothers because they feel threatened and, and we're, we're the ones that they went after first, you know, which is like, hey, if you just do your job in the first place and just kept an open mind and reported actually what was happening, you wouldn't have to have made this flip-flop. But now the flip-flop's there. Um but, you know, Apple was doing this all along. I mean, Apple, um, and it's not just Steve Jobs. It's sort of the culture, not just of even the culture of Apple, but it's the culture of Silicon Valley. It's like you get these employees working inside these big companies, and, and they think they're really hot shit, and they can't stand the idea. That, you know, they were told, like, if you work at Google today, right, they told you, and they hear it everywhere, that these are, like, the most brilliant people on the face of the earth. Well, they're basically not the most brilliant people on the face of the earth. And a lot of the ideas that they're doing right now are ideas that came from elsewhere. Uh, some of them are good ideas. I mean, like, I think some of the stuff they're producing is phenomenal. I mean, um, but they're hypocrites. They are so self-contradictory. I mean, it's breathtaking. You know, on the one hand, uh, in this whole controversy with Agence France, I think is what it's called, it's French news agency, um, and Google News, at, they were asking to be taken out of it, and the, the Google News, the Google PR guy says, well, you know, that's why we have an opt-out, you know, basically so that these guys can take themselves out of it. Yet in Autolink, they're not willing to do an opt-out, you know? Well, where's the consistency? You know, Google search engine, is, uh, it, there's no question they have an opt-out. It's called robots.txt. Again, why don't we get the, I mean, isn't it just enough to say, look, hey, guys, think about it. You know, you've offered an opt-out everywhere. Well, explain to us, why aren't you offering one here? And yet they don't say anything. They just don't say anything. This is not a great company. Now, people there may have some talents. They may have very high IQ. They may be really good at taking tests, but I don't care about that. Net, net, net. Is there effective IQ coming out of that place? Sure. In some areas, yeah. But certainly not everywhere, and not every Google employee has the right to think that they, or the justification to think that they are superior to everyone who's not a Google employee. And that is not going to work very well for Google, and but in the long term, in the short term, it's not going to work very well for everybody else. Okay. Although, thank God, we're not also dependent as Google, on Google as Apple developers were on Apple when Apple repeatedly pulled that kind of trick where. Basically, we have to make the developers fail because if we don't, then, well, they're going to get rich and we're not. You know, it's like as if they had any clue to how few developers get rich and how much risk they have to take to get there. You know, in the meantime, they never had to worry about m missing their, their paycheck or, or uh, you know, the level of commitment that an independent developer has to their project versus the level of commitment that an internal developer at a big company has is night and day. It's totally night and day. And that's what's screwed up about our system. And um, you're, if you think that Apple is so great, well, now I guess you should be about time for you to be getting disillusioned about that. And this ain't the end of it.
This is not going to be the end of it. Certainly not going to be the end of it with Google either. Um, and by the way, I, I don't know why Cory Doctorow won't respond to anything that I've written about Autolink. It's as if I don't exist. I could point to people and he on scripting news, and he would immediately be responding to them. But boy, that guy is chicken shit. I don't know what his problem is, but you know, you know the thing is that well, whatever. It's <laughs> anyway. So that's why I have a podcast. I have a podcast so I can say things like Corey Doctorow, you are chicken shit, okay? And I have a blog so I can say Doc shit, Doc Searles, you're being a shill. You're being a hype balloon meister. You're breaking the basic tenets of the clue train. You're saying you're giving Evan Williams a piece of the market when Evan Williams hasn't earned a piece of the market. You know, let him earn it. Let him communicate. Let him talk directly to the community. Instead, he's going through you. And you're not even talking to the podcasters. You know, I mean, it's, 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 how to put it? You know, that was the problem. Do they have any sense in Silicon Valley of who uses their product? Do they have, and no, they don't. And if they don't have a sense of who uses their product, then can they possibly have any sense of where they fit in? And the answer is no, they don't. They don't have any sense of where they fit in. The Silicon Valley view of the um, of their role is is where the press put them in the early 80s, which was at the center of the universe. I mean, it was, you know, there's Jobs, there's Wozniak, you know, and these are the gods of our time. These are the... You know, captains of industry. These are the people who have a vision that is goes far beyond the vision that we have. They they breathe better air than we do. Um, they know more than we do. They see it in a different way and a better way. That's been debunked so many times, but people seem to hold on to the idea that um, that they never reevaluate it or reexamine it until it comes close to home. In the case of Jobs, now or Apple, uh, going after journalists. Yeah, and the bloggers are journalists, obviously. That it was ever a controversy, you know, speaks volumes about the conflicts of interest of the, of the professional journalists, who never should be sitting in judgment of bloggers. Why? Because we threaten their business model. They have a conflict of interest that they don't disclose. And if they did disclose it, we would say, well, they don't have any credibility when it comes to this. And today was the day when, in the Washington Post, we read an op-ed piece that compared bloggers to the state secret police of, the, of East Germany. These are people who have never, ever been subject to critical review. And they resent it. They, they also feel above it. So we've got this situation where so many people feel like the world revolves around them, that their judgment is superior to everyone else. You know, that's the problem Tom DeLay has now. That's the problem that Sensenbrenner has, the Republicans have in general, is that they're willing to step in between a family and a doctor and a, a brain-dead woman and insert themselves and make the decision for everybody concerned. The Democrats, quite properly, are standing back and saying, this isn't our decision to make. And they're right. I don't often say that, but there are times when... When it's, there's right and there's wrong, and there's no way it's right for the executive and legislative, legislative branches. 
to get involved in that. So anyway, back to, I think I can sum it up now. So here we are. Wait, let me just see. How far into this am I? 39 minutes, so we're almost at 40. That's a pretty good one, pretty good-sized podcast. You guys get your money's worth today. Um, the reason why I have scripting news, the reason why I do podcasts, is so that I can speak. It's not... I would pay money to do this. I do pay money to do this. Um, you know, if I were going to take out an ad on TV... I'd have to pay money to get people to listen to me, okay? So why would I want to flip that around? And I've got it so good, <laughs> why would I want to change it? Scripting news works really great. It would work no better and probably would work worse if I ran ads on it because that immediately creates an expectation, you know, Google paid a thousand bucks in sponsorship for BloggerCon. And I know that they knew that they weren't buying good editorial coverage with that. If they did, I hope they got themselves disabused of that. And I think that it would save, speak volumes about their um, values if the next time we do a conference they pony up a thousand bucks because I've been such a harsh critic of them that, that frankly, I mean, it would be it would be an incredible affirmation of of the uh, the power of free speech, uh, and we'll keep the door open for that and hope that they do. Um, but there's there's so I mean it, the blog the, the ads that I would run on scripting news would would not generate enough money to make it worthwhile to me to even create the impression that I might be influenced by the people who were advertising. So I don't do it. And I won't do it on my podcast either. Um, my podcast isn't about me making money. My podcast is about me having a place to speak and be heard. And that's it. It's that simple. So it seemed to have covered everything that's on my list. This is quite a little, nice little ramble here. Um, uh, um, there are more things I might have talked about. Um, but it's good to have some things that I might have talked about because then there's a reason to do another podcast at some point in the future. Um, this is the rare podcast that I've done recently where I haven't been driving. So I guess I've just proven that it's possible to actually do that. Anyway, um... So, it's almost midnight, and so it's the 21st, it's, right now it's 10 minutes to midnight, Eastern Standard Time, or Eastern whatever, is it Eastern Standard? I think it's Eastern Standard Time. And uh, in 10 minutes it'll be the 22nd, and uh, well, there you have it. So I hope you're all doing great, have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week, and I'll be in New York next week, and if you're around, um, maybe let's do a brunch somewhere. Uh, Love to do one on Sunday. If not, then let's do a Jewish uh, Jewish meal. Uh, maybe Katz's Deli or uh, send a salami to your boy in the army. <laughs> How do you like them apples? Um, you can't do that one in a blog. You can try to do that in a blog. Let's do that one. Send a salami to your boy in the army.
that's New York. <laughs> y'all. Anyway. Oh, I might as well say, this is how you say, um, namaste, y'all. Namaste, y'all. Yeah, it's like you do the southern drawl, but we, we're still into, um, into, uh, you know what namaste means? It does mean, it means the divinity in my being acknowledges the divinity in yours. It's like, it's the the American equivalent would be, hey, how you doing? <laughs> and, but it's nice because it sort of says that uh, that I've got some divinity and so do you. <laughs> so let's behave ourselves. Let's be nice to each other. I mean, that's what uh, said a rabbi. They stood a rabbi on the head and they said, Rabbi said, I can like stand on my head and recite the entire philosophy of Judaism. And they said, no. Rabbi, how would you, like, eat? They were thinking he was going to read the whole Bible. Uh, so they stood him on his head, and he said, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he got up, and he walked walked out. You see, it really is that simple. That's what it is. Namaste, y'all. Have a great rest of the week, and talk to you soon. Bye.